Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Was that phenomenal or what? I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life down before you. We said it with our lips. Do we mean it with our lives, church? Lay it down. How you doing this morning? On a scale of one to 10, you don't have to tell me, but how are you doing? Maybe one, it's going rough. It's hard. It's been a tough weekend. It's a really hard season. Or maybe you're at a 10 and you're just on cloud nine. Things are going great and phenomenal and couldn't be better. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. We all face ups and downs in life, don't we? We all face ups and downs. I wanna tell you about somebody who certainly went through a one on a particular day and it changed the course of their life forever. On July 30th, 1967, a 17-year-old's life would change forever. This person took a dive in the Chesapeake Bay and they misjudged the depth of the water. And as a result, they suffered a fracture between their fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae, and they became a quadriplegic. They were paralyzed from the shoulders down. And over the next couple of years, this person faced significant hardship. As they went through treatment and rehabilitation, they faced depression, suicidal thoughts, doubting if God was even there. But as time went on, this person came to the realization that God, even in the midst of my one, of this hardship, God is in this. This person learned to paint with a paintbrush using their mouth and created the most beautiful paintings. This person went on to write around 40 books, helping to inspire people and bring them closer to God. This person worked with the prison system in the United States and started the program Wheels Across the World where they worked with inmates who took used wheelchairs and refurbished them and, and made them all nice and new and then gave them away to other places throughout the world who needed them. This person decided that they were gonna take their one and say, God is still in this. This person is Johnny Erickson Tata. Yeah, we can be excited about that. And Johnny would go on to say these words about her experience. He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace the greatest good suffering can do for me is to increase my capacity for God. Real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding his character, in trusting in his promises, and in leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he's doing and does all things well. Amen. If you were to boil down what Johnny is saying in these words, it'd be this. She dwelt with God. She dwelt with the God of the universe. You see, we all face ups 
and downs in life. And when we dwell with God, we can take on anything in life. So how do we do it? How do we dwell with God? Maybe you didn't have an accident that's left you a quadriplegic for life, but you're going through hard times. Maybe you're staring into bankruptcy as a result of the times today, the economy and inflation. Maybe things are going hard at work. They're scaling back your hours. And now you just don't even know how you're gonna make ends meet. How do you dwell with God? Maybe you feel alone and isolated. And whenever you pick up social media and you scroll through it, you see your friends that have left you behind. And with each swipe, you go, I feel so left out. I feel so alone. How do you dwell in the midst of that? Maybe your spouse has checked out on you after years of marriage. It's like they're not even there. And you come in this morning and you just feel so heavy and so burdened with this problem and don't see a way out of it. How do we dwell with God in the midst of what life throws at us? Psalm 91 has something to tell us about this. Three things that we wanna share with you this morning from God's word in Psalm 91. So turn with me in your Bibles there as we ask ourselves the question, how do I dwell with God? Because in the midst of the ups and the downs, when I dwell with God, I can face all of life. Psalm 91, and we'll be starting in verse one. And as you're flipping or scrolling there, it's really important that we take Psalm 91 in its proper context. It isn't quite like a narrative like the Gospel of John. And so we gotta say, okay, we're coming into a specific kind of writing that's a little different. You see, the Psalms are songs. And with those songs, we use all kinds of figures of speech all kinds of literary devices, personification and symbolism and metaphor and these things that we learned in middle school, high school English. And so we don't always take things literally. They might be something that's meant to drive home a point to represent something bigger. We also gotta take into account that Psalm 91, we're not quite sure who the author is. Some people think it might be David. We, we don't know for sure. And so we don't really know what's going on in the setting of the psalmist's life. We don't know what the circumstances are. And so what's important for us then when it comes to a psalm like this is we look at the overall kind of theme of what's going on. You see, every psalm has a kind of overarching theme to it. Two-thirds of the psalms can be considered lament psalms. So if you're coming in today and you're lamenting or you're grieving or you're hurting, boy, you're in good company two-thirds of the Psalms. Other categories of the Psalms can be thanksgiving, praise, and this Psalm, Psalm 91, could really be categorized as a Psalm of trust. There's several Psalms that we see that could be categorized this way. Psalm 23 is a classic example. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is trust. 
And so as we come to the psalm, we're ready. We think about our context. We think about the style that it is, the category that it is. And I gotta add, too, I haven't said this yet in the other services, but I think it's so interesting. We don't know the author for sure. We don't know the circumstance for sure. But throughout psalms, when, when the psalmist uses the word you, it's you, singular, not plural. It's like he's talking right at you. So as you read the psalm today, read it like that. He's talking right to you, straight to your heart. So how do we dwell with God? Because we all face ups and downs in life, but when we dwell with God, we can face all of life. First of all, we embrace relationship with him. We embrace his embrace of us. The God of the universe wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He cares for you. If we're gonna dwell with him, we gotta get this first point right. We embrace relationship with him. We see this in verses one through four. Let's start at verse one. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. He who dwells, when we dwell, that means we're making our home in, we're, we're being in, we're being present within. We've got a roof over our head when we dwell in the shelter of the most high. This is such familial language for us this morning. God wants you to be a part of his family. He's adopted you as a son and as a daughter. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high. This is one of God's favorite titles for himself, especially in the Old Testament, the most high. He's higher than anything else, anyone else, anything possible. He is most high. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever that struggle is, whatever that problem is, whatever that giant you're facing is, he is most high. Oh, I love that. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, what's the promise? Will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What does it mean to abide? When we abide, we, we are being a part of it's this intimate language. We see it in John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide, remain, be close to. So he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow. Boy, who here in Florida is thankful for shade, right? Thank goodness for shade, right? I know in March, we're like, oh, we got this. Florida weather's wonderful. But in July, we're like, what were we thinking, right? But we look for that shade, right? Because it's so hot. It's like 192 degrees out there and it's so hot. We're sweating and we look for shade. You know what? Us Floridians, we're experts in shade, all right? Where can I get the coolness? Where can I get the relief? The Almighty, when we're with him, we're in his shadow. That's what he gives us, relief. He gives us protection. It almost gives this idea of, of a hen with mother hen with its wings over its chicks. We'll get more to that later. Giving protection. We are in the shadow of the Almighty. He's mightier than anything. He's most high. He's almighty. These names are so important to cling on to. But here's the deal about shadows and shade. 
In order to be in that shade in the hot Florida sun in July under that tree, you gotta be next to that tree. In order to abide in the shadow of the Almighty, we gotta be close to him. Are you getting close to him? Are you spending time with him? Are you abiding with him? The psalmist is just heaping relational language onto this to say when you dwell with God, what does that look like? You embrace this relationship. Look at verse three, he goes on to say, verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's your refuge. Oh, just another word for that protection. He's your fortress. Try to think about like a fortress, I, you know, a big fort, a big protective place. I think about something like, like this. This is really, really cool. It's off, of Fran, off the coast of France and just this beautiful fortress. And apparently this was the most impenetrable fortress in the Middle Ages. And you see it's surrounded by water. It looks really cool. And I look at that and I go, you, you times up by a million, right? Of God's fortress, right? He is bigger and better than anything. This might've been impenetrable for a while, but God's fortress that we go to is impenetrable for eternity. He is your refuge. He is your fortress. We see in verse two, and he is my God in whom I trust. This is personal language, my God, in whom I trust. There's a lot of things that let us down, aren't there? There's a lot of people that have let us down. But our God is a God that we can always trust in. He is worthy of our trust. So we continue on in verse three. He says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. The snare of the fowler. Okay, remember how we said in the beginning, not everything is like actually literal. This is a great example, right? He's not gonna deliver you from a, you know, oh no, look out for those bird snares. No, this is figurative language. It's gonna keep you away from the snares of others, the snares of the enemy. There's no shortage of snares in our lives, are there? You think about all the temptations that are out there for us. Maybe for you, it's, when you pull up the internet and now you've got this device with you, the internet with you at all times. God wants to provide a way out of that snare. Maybe for you, probably not for you guys, you all are responsible, right? You've all paid your taxes already, right? Okay, so you're good to go. But for some of us who haven't paid our taxes and we do it this week, maybe for us it's, we're gonna squirrel away maybe some of that money that Uncle Sam doesn't need to know about. We're gonna cut some corners. The snare's right there. It's so easy, just click a couple buttons. Maybe for you, it's gossip. You just can't wait to share that juicy gossip with your coworkers and cut down on that other person that's not there behind their back. There's no shortage of snares, are there? But here's what we know from the promise of God's word. He will provide a way out of the snare. He will prepare a way, provide a way out of the temptation. We see this, Paul writes this in the New Testament. God always provides a way out of temptation. He will deliver you from the fowler's snare. He will provide a way out and he gives 
you protection from the deadly pestilence. Verse three, this calls to mind the people of Israel in Egypt in Exodus. The 10 plagues come and God passes over them, right? Each and every one, they're protected from it, ultimately leading in the 10th one, the Passover. He will protect you from the deadly pestilence. The psalmist is just heaping up all kinds of language to say God wants relationship with you. And he continues in verse four to say he will cover you with his pinions. I had no idea what opinion was. I had, I had to look this up. I've never known what opinion is. And I, I looked it up. You know what I found out? Maybe you all know this. Maybe I'm the only one that learned this. But it's, it's these feathers at the end of a bird. So it's the most prominent feathers at the end of a bird. So he will cover you with those, with, your, with your, his pinions. He will cover you. Apparently, a crow and a raven have 10 major pinions. 10 major pinions and wings, or excuse me, 10 major feathers total. So you just think about a crow, think about a raven. They have 10 major feathers. A crow has five pinions. A raven has four pinions. So you could say the difference between a crow and a raven is a matter of opinion. <laughs> so bad. That was so bad. I've been de debating at every service if I'm gonna tell that one or not. But when you look at opinion, when you look at a bird, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about the fact he's covering you with those opinions. It's such intimate language, such relational language. He will cover you. And then it goes on to say, under his wings, you will find refuge. This is the idea of a mother hen with her chicks. So you look at this, this picture, right? The mother hen, she's looking all around. She's got her head on a swivel. and She's got her chicks there. She's protecting them. In some cases, really, they cover those, those chicks all the more. You can almost not even see them. And I happened to YouTube mother hen protecting her chicks on uh, YouTube. And uh, it's incredible. It's incredible what mother hens will do for their chicks. Yes, they will shield them and protect them, but then when any danger comes around, you know what that mother hen does? She goes right for the danger. She tries to basically lay her life down for those chicks and protect them. Sound familiar? This is how God views you. In the midst of the ups and downs in life, when we dwell with God, we can face anything. How do we dwell with God? We embrace relationship with him. How are you doing with that? How are you doing embracing relationship with the God of the universe? How are you getting in his shade and in his shadow? How are you experiencing his wings over you? How are you being with him? One of the best ways we can do this is spending time with him regularly each day. And I want you to hear me out. This isn't, I'm not trying to hit a hammer over the head on you and say, you gotta do this in a legalistic way. This is relational. How are you spending time with the God of the universe who wants to spend time with you?
So let's get really practical. So for me, I, I wake up in the morning, I walk my dog, I make my tea or my coffee, and I sit down and I spend 15 minutes in God's word. Some of you might say, that's not enough time, Andrew. Others might say, that's way too much time for me. I, I spend 15 minutes. And I typically go through maybe around a chapter a day and I'm going through Hebrews right now, I'm loving it. And after those 15 minutes, I pray. And a lot of times I use the acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Pastor Mike likes to use also CATS, confession, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication. But spending time with God in prayer. So 15 minutes in his word, 15 minutes in prayer. That's what it looks like for me. And with each day, as the days become weeks, the weeks comes months, months become years, spent this time with this God in his shadow, in his refuge, in his fortress, under his wings, and you continue to grow in relationship with him. This is anything but legalism. This is relationship. So what about for you? If you do not have a plan with God, I wanna encourage you, make one starting today. Let this be the day we're drawing that line in the sand. Are you spending time with him or are you not? And if you're not, let's make that plan. Five minutes from 9 a.m. to 9.05. I'm gonna start with John 1. If you're not doing this, I have three words for you. Just show up. Just show up. Just come to God this doesn't have to be perfect. God's not calling you to be a Greek and Hebrew scholar and have the whole Bible memorized. He just wants to have a relationship with you. Just show up. I'm talking to somebody in this room, I know that. Spend time with God because he wants to spend time with you and would you start it today? We all face ups and downs in life. In the midst of it all, when we dwell with God, we can take life on. How do we dwell with God? We embrace relationship with him, number one. And number two, we trust in him. This is verses five, really through 13. But before we do that, we gotta put this in its proper context. You see, this section of scripture has been taken out of context plenty, most famously by Satan himself. And so it's really important that we key up the context of this chapter and of scripture as a whole when we come to this passage. Check out this quote from Got Questions that helps us a little bit. Psalm 91 does not provide immunity from life's threats. It does not promise God's protection, say that next word for me in church, from danger and trouble. It offers the promise of God's protection. What's that next word? Amid hardship and peril. Amid, in the midst of, in the presence of, when danger is around you, when problems are around you, God is still with you. This is really important as we come to this passage because there's gonna be people that will tell you that if you are sick, if you are hurting, if you are going through hard times, it's because you've sinned. It's because God's disappointed in you. It's because he's mad at you. Because when you walk with God, you won't face any problems, any issues, any concerns. 
church family. That's called the health and wealth gospel. And you know what we see. Let's, let's, let's look a little bit at some context in scripture. Luke 21, 16 through 18. Jesus tells, tells his disciples, you're gonna be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. That does not sound very health and wealth to me. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But then look at this next verse. But not a hair of your head will perish. You will be escaping eternal judgment in the midst of even being put to death. Not a hair on your head will perish because God's got you. John 16, 33, in this world, you will promise. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm sure Paul was not a believer in the health and wealth gospel. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, we see five times he experienced the 40 lashes minus one. Three times he experienced the rods beaten on his back. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day adrift at sea. That sounds terrifying. Doesn't sound very health and wealth gospel to me. But you know what? I know, some, I know that, that, that Paul knew his Old Testament. I could see him maybe adrift at sea thinking to himself, Psalm 91, because God's not gonna keep you from trouble, but he's gonna be with, there with you in the midst of trouble. So now with that backdrop, let's pick up back in Psalm 91, starting at verse five. You will not, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noon day. Day or night, God's got you. You will not fear. Fear. You don't need to bow the knee to whatever that problem, that issue, that circumstance that you're going through is. You do not need to put it on the throne of your heart because only Jesus goes there. You will not fear in the midst of it. Verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. What is it? Verse eight is really helpful. You will only look with your eyes. This is very emphatic language, by the way. You only look with your eyes and you will see the recompense of the wicked, the payment, the wages of the wicked. All of this has to do with judgment, judgment from God. And God has spared us from that. Isn't that incredible to think about? Because of what you and I deserve, we do not get. You see, you and I were the wicked, weren't we? And we know what the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2 tells us that you and I were dead and the trespasses and the sins in which we once walked. We were actually following the prince of the power of the world. We were following after Satan. We were children of the devil, but God, but God, not but you, not but me, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
God has spared us from the recompense of the wicked. And then we go on to continue this thought of just trusting in him in the midst of these issues, these problems, the arrows, the darkness. In the midst of all of this, we see verse nine, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. It's where you dwell. The most high who is my refuge. Again, very personal language. He's my God, I trust in him, he's my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. So once again, if you are in Israel and you're reading this at the time, you're thinking automatically back to Exodus and about how God allowed these plagues to pass over the people of Israel. No evil shall befall you. No plague come upon your tent. And now in verse 11, we're gonna get to something really familiar to us. For, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Who else has used this passage before that we know about? Satan. We see this in Luke chapter four. We also see this in Matthew and and Mark. But in Luke chapter four, Satan uses this against Jesus to tempt him. In Luke 4, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and what is probably the biggest understatement in scripture, it says at the end of those 40 days, he was hungry. (laughs) Satan tempts him with bread, tempts him with the world and he tempts him by saying, hey, go up on the top of the temple, the highest point and throw yourself down. For he will command his angels concerning you. The same passage on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan used scripture against Jesus. Did he use it in context? No. He ripped it out of the context. The context is God's got your back. You can trust in him. He's gonna be with you in the midst of the hard times. You will escape his judgment. And yet Satan said, Jesus, this is so that you can put your name on display. You can put God the Father to the test. How does Jesus respond? It is written. He responds in the same way that you and I need to respond in temptation. It is written, he responded with scripture. He says, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. He uses Deuteronomy 6, which is a beautiful chapter. It's the same chapter where we see the Shema, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Satan was tempting Jesus to take the focus off of the Father and to be filled with pride. Satan twisted the scripture. This is why, guys, we gotta know our Bible. 
That's why we gotta know scripture. This is why we gotta spend time with him. We talked about that earlier, that line in the sand. We gotta spend time with him. We gotta spend time in our discipleship environments, cracking open God's word and talking about it. And then how does it apply to our lives, going from our head to our heart to our feet? We gotta be in God's word. What I love about this passage, though, going back to Psalm 91, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up with their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. God's got you and his angels got you too. To be honest, I, I don't think enough about angels, do you? You just acknowledge that's there, that's real, that's a promise. They're ministering spirits sent to those who are to inherit salvation. We see that again in, in Hebrews chapter one. God's got you. We can trust him. And so as we continue this idea in Psalm 91 of trust, we then get to this interesting verse in verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. So the next time you're on a safari or you're walking down the street of Florida where there's a lot of snakes, you get ready to stomp on them? Is that, what is it saying? But guys, we know this, right? There's churches who say, bring out the snakes. Let's put God to the test. Sound familiar? Last verse, we just talked about this. Satan used that very thing. You should not put the word your God to the test though. That is not what this passage is telling us. So let's, again, look at it in its proper context here of being able to trust in God and the fact that it's a psalm and that we use these figures of speech. We use these literary devices. What do we know about lions? Lions were a symbol of power. Babylonians were all about lions in their day. What do we see in, in the book of Daniel? The Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. Lions are powerful. We see in 1 Peter 5 that our enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. But what else do we know about lions? Well, we know, we see in Isaiah that the lion will be made docile. We see in Daniel that those lions did nothing to him because God was more powerful than the lion. And we see ultimately that the lion of the tribe of Jesus, the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, will reign supreme as the ultimate lion. And then as we look at the snake, what do we know about the snake? Well, we know that snake was a symbol of really evil. Satan himself came in the form of a serpent. The Egyptians used snakes and they were a part really of, of, of evil and things not of God. And yet what do we know else about snakes? Genesis 3, God speaks to the serpent and what does he tell him? He says, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. 
This is the end for the serpent. And we move forward into Revelation. The serpent, Satan, is done forever. He is cast out. And instead, the lamb of God who was slain will be the one who reigns forever and ever. The lion and the serpent do not have power over us. God is bigger than them in your life. That is why the psalmist can say, you will tread on the lion. You will tread on the serpent. The young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. God's got you. You can trust him. So church family, what are you trusting in? That bank account? Just keep on adding that money in. If I just diversify my portfolio enough, if I add in enough, if I invest enough, I'll have it made. It's gonna let us down. That person where you just, you want them to just be happy with you. You wanna please them. You wanna have a good relationship with them. And next thing you know, you have them on a pedestal and you say, well, I'm okay if they're okay got to be on good terms with them. It's all about what they think of me. They're going to let you down. Or maybe it's just popular opinion. If I get enough likes on my social media, on my Instagram account, if I get enough followers, if I just look a certain way on my posts, then I'll have it made. If I get this many followers, I've got it made. It's going to let you down. Our bank account, God cares about our job, God cares about our relationships, God cares about, but those aren't meant to go on the throne of our hearts. Those will let us down. Only God was meant to go there because like the psalmist says, we trust in him. In this life, we experience ups and downs. But when we dwell with God, we can face all of life. How do we dwell with him? We, we embrace that relationship with him we trust in him and we hold on to his promises. Verses 14 through 16, as we round this out, this is absolutely beautiful. It says this, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Holds fast. This is the idea of this, this he holds on, he clings on to, it's this relationship, he's all in because he holds fast to me in love. This is the same word that God uses to describe his relationship with the people of Israel. He's saying, I chose you. I engaged in relationship with you. Not because of anything you did, but I sought you. This is the same kind of language, just this relational clinging. And do you notice in this verse that it's now changed to God speaking? It's as if God was leading the psalmist to pen this psalm and God got so excited about it. He's like, all right, that's enough. Count me in. I'm ready to say my voice and say how much I love this person. We see this in a few other psalms where God just can't help but just come on and say his own word for word speech because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. 
It's church family, we gotta hold on to his promises. So we talked to the last one, we talked about we gotta, we gotta trust in him. What are you trusting in? So my bank account and finances, my relationships, my job, everything we hold out with an open palm before him. God, you can take it, you can leave it, you can do whatever you want with it. We're trusting in him. Are you trusting in him with those things? But as we come to the promises of God that we cling on to, it's no longer an open fist or open hand, it's a closed fist. I cling to your promises, God, through the wind and the waves and the storm. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord of all. I cling to that promise. Are we clinging with that closed fist as we get to these promises? And he says here, because he knows my name. I will protect him because he knows my name. Do you know his name today? He is provider. He is healer. He is our banner, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, our ever-present help in time and need. He's our Abba. He's our Lord. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the God who sees. He is Lord Most High. We see that Jesus is Emmanuel. God saves. Yeshua. He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Prince of Peace, Ruler of Israel, Lamb of God, Bread of Life, Light of the World, Door of the Sheep, Resurrection and the Life. He is the Good Shepherd, the Way, the truth, the life, the lamb who was slain, the faithful and true king. Do you know that name? Because if you don't, today's the day. We want you to know this Jesus that we just love so much and who loves you so much. We want you to know his name. At the end here, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come forward and talk with pastors and elders, and we wanna be here for you to help introduce you to this Jesus. Would you know his name? Because he wants to know you. He's made his case in Psalm 91, hasn't he? He loves you. He cares about you. We embrace relationship with him. We trust in him. Let's hold on to his promises. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, over the past few months, I've gone through some, some hurt. And it's been hard. I don't think I've ever been hurt like this Before. And in the midst of the hardship and the struggle, at the hardest point, I got a text from someone you may know, Pastor Matt Messiano, and it said Psalm 91. And as soon as I could, my wife Shay and I, we went to Starbucks and I just poured over Psalm 91 while I drank my delicious peppermint hot chocolate. And as I thought about that hurt and that struggle and that pain, I held up God's word and his promises. 
That hurt and pain is real. What you are going through is real. But God's word is greater than what you are facing. So I want you to think about whatever that is. Whatever is going on, you hold that up, but then we hold up God's word and it says this, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will rescue him. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. This is God's promise for you, for what you are going through. Would you embrace his embrace? Would you trust in him? Would you cling to his promises? And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the only reason we can dwell with God is because he chose to dwell with us. Genesis, we see God in the garden with Adam and Eve, wanted to dwell with them. In Exodus, God dwells in the temple. The temple is filled with him, his presence and his glory. He dwells. We see in John 1 that Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt with us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. We see in John 14 that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us as followers of Jesus. And in the end, in Revelation, you know what we find out? That God will dwell with us forever. Check this out, check this out. Revelation chapter 21, verses three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We will dwell with God forever. The only reason we can dwell with God is because he chose to dwell with us. Johnny Erickson Tata in that wheelchair 55 years later. And God has done so many amazing things through her. God took that one, that awful day on the scale of one to 10, he took that awful day and he used it for his glory and for Johnny's good. Because Johnny said, I'm going to dwell with God. How about you? Will you choose to dwell with God? When we dwell with God, we can face all of life. How do we dwell with him? We embrace relationship with him. We trust in him. We hold on to his promises. Because when we dwell with God, you and I, we can face all of life. Love you guys.